Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. And we're your co-hosts for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. And our guest today on the phone is Forrester Senior Analyst Anjali Lai, who's here to discuss new survey data about what's driving growth in the direct-to-consumer brands. Welcome, Anjali. Thanks very much. So direct-to-consumer, or D2C, has been around for a while. What's new? What's, what's the big idea? Yeah, so it absolutely has been around for a long time, but what we've been seeing lately is this um, essential explosion of um, challenger or disruptor brands that are really taking the fundamental idea of D2C in a new direction. Um, these brands are uh, you know, digitally disruptive. They are built um, on uh, or, or around very specific consumer need um, that tends to um, be relatively niche. They are agile. Um, and as a result of the sort of positive buzz that they're creating in the market, they're winning incredible support from um, VCs. Who are these folks? Give me a couple examples in different industries. So this trend is really manifesting across industries. So we're seeing it heavily in the clothing space. So for example, brands like Stitch Fix, which pull um, from different clothing retailers and package um, curated uh, apparel items in a box and then deliver to consumers through a subscription service. Or in the uh, home goods and, and furniture sector, we have things like Casper, right, which is the idea that consumers are testing out a mattress in store but are able to buy one online and then have it delivered after the in-store visit. We're seeing this uh, even in the travel sector. Away is an example of the uh, the suitcase brand that is you know guaranteed to be sort of lightweight, you know, fit in the overhead compartment, and has really sort of driven a lot of um, positive sentiment and uh, appeal around um, something that used to be a fairly mundane activity, right? But purchasing a suitcase has never really been exciting. <laughs> so we're seeing this across product categories and um, heavily in the retail space, but it's really moving into other categories like in finance and insurance as brands start to emulate this idea of having a really sort of simplified consumer experience and are going direct to the consumer to deliver certain value that typically took longer when it was delivered through a traditional brand. Why do you think this is gaining so much traction, you know, whether that's media buzz or just real legitimate traction like VC dollars today? Well, what's interesting is that right now it has a fairly niche appeal when you look at the numbers. Um, So most buyers who have bought from a D2C type brand are typically uh, reflective of that early adopter profile. They skew progressive pioneer, right, which is the most empowered segment in our uh, empowered consumer segmentation. These folks tend to be male, tend to be a little bit younger, really heavily focused on the 24 and 24 to 35-year-old age groups. They also tend to be higher income. They tend to be living in urban centers rather than rural centers. So this, you know, there really is this sort of niche appeal and it's this smaller but important segment that's driving a lot of the purchase behavior that we see today. So if I look at it strictly from the the standpoint of impact, you use the word niche several times. So this is not really changing the nature of retail. It's not really hitting the big guys yet. It's simply coaching them that demand is moving away from them. There was latent demand. 
these new players came in, they met demand, and they began conditioning the marketplace that you can have these expectations and those expectations can be met. Ultimately, that will place larger expectations and larger brands, and ultimately that may have a larger impact, but not as we sit here today. It's more at the margins of the market. That's right. And what's interesting is that consumers, when they're talking about their experiences with B2C brands versus the, shall we say, traditional or the incumbents, is that they view B2C brands as just another option, right? And they often use that verbiage where they say that buying shoes from, for example, an N. Gemi or um, you know, purchasing clothes from an M.M. Fleur, where you're essentially going into the store and having this really personalized, curated experience, but not walking out with the items in your hand, and instead you order them online afterwards, that is not even necessarily to consider in the same line of thought when they're considering, you know, say, a Macy's or, you know, another traditional clothing or, or shoe um, retailer. And so consumers are looking at D2C as, another option. And what's really disruptive or what's really different about these brands is the quality of their experience. So it's the fact that they are able to deliver on things like convenience, um, on quality. Um, They're able to cultivate a sense of trust around the brand and the new experience in a new way that the larger brands haven't done in the past. We've talked about trust here on this podcast many times and the tribal behavior of, of humans today. How much is that also playing into, um, you know, the community aspect of the relationship that consumers have with brands? It's an interesting question because the community aspect that you're talking about is really sort of fundamental to the appeal of, of the D2C brand or the D2C type experience. So this desire for consumers to connect with fellow shoppers that are purchasing the same brands that they do is actually what we found in the data, one of the most statistically predictive traits of being interested in um, D2C brands. And when we've dug into that a little bit more deeply, we found that consumers really are craving this sense of connection and are craving this idea of rallying a community around a certain brand or being able to band together around something that a brand stands for. And, you know, when that happens successfully, that often drives this sense of trust. And consumers say that having this shared community rallied around the brand enhances the emotional experience or the um, perceived value of the experience overall. And when you're talking with others that are buying the same brands that you do, that are standing for the same values that you are, um, that really reinforces your interest in the brand and reinforces your behavior. And so that cultivates this you know, sense of emotional loyalty really grounded in this idea of trust. And, and that is very much a part of the D2C experience. And it's something that consumers are reacting to. Is it the VC's expectation that these firms scale and become profitable because of this tribal dynamic is that there's a certain viralness to one great experience of getting other great experiences and bringing your tribe along at scale? The thing is that in some cases, these DTC brands are being snatched up by the larger retailers in order to achieve scales. We're seeing like Bonobos was required by Walmart, for instance, right? That's something that's a curious case because the consumers who are buying from Bonobos are naturally the ones that are buying from Walmart. There isn't a, an apparent sort of value alignment in the brands there, but Bonobos would agree to that because they're able to achieve scale. And of course, it creates a new channel or a new growth opportunity for Walmart to reach into you know a pocket of the consumership that they wouldn't necessarily be going after. So this idea of 
tribalism and uh, having a brand go viral is certainly part of what is fueling D2C brand's growth, but it has a, a limited kind of lifespan, right? It's, it's, it's not going to be sustainable in itself. And so these brands are ultimately turning to the traditional method or traditional retailers and using those as leverage to, uh, to be able to expand even further. And we see a similar trend on the marketing side where oftentimes these DDC brands are launching by, you know, using social networking channels to connect directly with their prospects and, and their consumers. They're heavily relying things like influencer marketing. They sort of treat Facebook as their storefront in, in some ways where they're able to really kind of make a splash, drive awareness, you know, gain sort of digital foot traffic. But at a certain point, they turn then to traditional methods of marketing, things like television, to build that skill even further. I mean, it's kind of a funny phenomenon because you have a set of companies that are young in their life doing something fundamentally different in the marketplace. And of course, they're getting a positive feedback, but they're still small and working at the margin of business. And I'm assuming that they're having a tough time finding profit, which typically is a signal that a good many of the VCs coming in are thinking of this as an exit strategy, which is they, they won't be able to grow past the growing pains. They won't be able to turn fast growth into profitable growth. How do you see that playing out? Is this going to turn into an M&A frenzy or are you going to see a couple of these grow through the growing pains and become formidable entities unto themselves? Well, again, it depends. In some cases, these DTC brands will you know, look to be acquired in order to, again, achieve that level of scale and, and, and sustainable growth. Um, in other cases, these brands are, you know, just because of how they're sort of founded on this notion of being agile, of being uh, incredibly close to the consumer and immersed in the consumer data and, you know, are born with that startup mentality, these brands are also quick to identify new areas of value that they can deliver and, and new sort of adjacent, you know, possibilities for growth. So if you look at Warby Parker as an example of one of these D2C brands that started out by purely selling um, eyewear online and then eventually moved into this creation of the brick-and-mortar store, which ended up being a, a, a huge success in terms of drawing consumers into the brand experience more deeply and creating a new level of engagement that added value to the experience overall, that's an example of how a, a successful brand will continue to grow and iterate on uh, you know, its core sort of promise, but have that value manifest in, in different ways for the customer. It's a very interesting example you gave because I would typically ascribe these companies to be digital native and digital only, but increasingly they're creating physical footprint because it enhances the experience. It could scale their business. Could you just give a sense of how, how that's going? I mean, just give examples of other ones that tried and they really couldn't pull off the physical part, which is actually quite challenging. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting challenge for these brands, and actually, what you know, what I see in um, how this is moving is really a shift in what the purpose of a brick and mortar location is, right? And and what value it really delivers to the customer. And I think that that it's going to, you know, this phenomenon is going to cause you know the major players to really rethink, you know, the value that they're delivering through multiple channels and really understand holistically what is the importance of having an in-store experience in the context of the digital channels that are also available to consumers. So, for instance, what we're seeing is a lot of these DTC brands are turning that brick-and-mortar store into not necessarily, you know, a retail 
sort of outlet, but is really a place for consumers to come together to be immersed in that sense of community that we were just talking about and to have an experience. So you'll see, for instance, if you walk into uh, an away store, right, it it sort of looks like an airport terminal. Uh, You know, they have these sessions where you practice packing different items in an away suitcase. And so the value of being in store is very different. And it's not just about picking up an item and leaving. It's, It's about having this other sort of immersive experience where you really get to engage with the brand, engage with one another. And that has shifted the meaning of a brick and mortar store. How do you think that changes like a marketer's role and how they think about the customer journey? So if that physical space is not just merely a, something to make a transaction, that means that marketers today at these firms have to think of that as part of the journey. It's, it's a different way of thinking of that you know, relationship of that physical space to the consumer, too. Yeah, absolutely. It causes marketers to rethink, again, the value that they're delivering through the brick-and-mortar experience as compared to the, the online experience. And I think, you know, what this shift has also shown is that the digital experience on its own is not going to give consumers everything that they feel like they need. So we're looking at sort of the, you know, digital and physical, you know, not as going away. So this whole idea that there will no longer be brick and mortar retail stores or, uh, you know, consumers are perfectly happy to order everything from home by enrolling in a subscription and just having everything automatically delivered to them. I don't think we're heading towards a world where those are, you know, likely to become realities. It's more that we're looking at digital and physical as to components of one holistic experience that offer distinct value, but in combination is really what is most valuable for consumers. So Anjali, you have these new players, so think about these new critters in the zoo, new kinds of animals, and you have these large players out there that have not operated that way and probably have not thought that way. What is your confidence that, like in the spirit of biomimicry, they can act like these new animals? They can take on what's good and different and novel about them while maintaining what they have done already, which is achieve a business at scale? Well, that's really the question that these brands need to examine. And before they begin this biomimicry, um, brands really need to stop and ask themselves, what is the purpose, right? And, and what is going to be most valuable about copying or borrowing some of the tactics from the DC brands to reach their own consumers? And so my uh, colleague, Ryan Skinner, is leading some of the research right now about what the D2C trend means for marketers and for the brand strategy in terms of how these incumbents do anything from, you know, as drastic as reorganizing to um, something as um, sort of tactical on the marketing side, like a a brand refresh in order to stay competitive in in this new um, playing field. But in order to answer the question strategically, these brands have to look at the components of the D2C experience and understand what is resonating with consumers why are consumers being drawn to these DTC type brands and experiences? And what is the relative weight of those drivers? And what is then able to be emulated by the bigger brands? And, and what is something that is just fundamentally uh, inherent in the DTC model that these large brands won't ever be able to embody? Is that equally true for all of the industries? The answers to those questions are very different by product category. We're seeing, for example, that 
in the food and beverage category, right, you have challenger brands like Blue Apron, like HelloFresh, that are delivering ingredients to consumers and having them sort of experiment with cooking different types of meals, say, every week. But in those examples, consumers really aren't buying into that type of behavior at the expense of their regular grocery shopping. So for a major food and beverage brand, the intensity or the urgency to do some sort of pivot and offer that kind of experience is less so than we might find in another category like personal care, right? So we're looking at things like Dollar Shave Club and Harry that are delivering razors, which are, in fact, peeling away at some of the market share for the, the larger brands. Um, so it is really uh, a function of the product category and uh, which elements of the d experience are resonating with uh, the consumers that matter most to the incumbents. It's an interesting way that you phrased it because going back to purpose, if you go back to an airline's example from well before, you had the low-cost airlines come out and you had Delta attempt Song and you had United attempt TED, both not terribly successful because both of them weren't really Delta and United respectively. They were different than their purpose and sort of different than their soul. And that's one of the cautionary tales is don't stray away from your purpose in attempting to emulate. Stay, stay with who you are and adjust accordingly, but don't don't try to become something other because, you know, lessons from the past will tell us that may not go well. Um, yeah, I, I mean that's that's definitely true. And one of the advantages of the these D 2 C brands is that they are coming forward with a very crystal clear story about who they are, what they stand for. Oftentimes, they're presented. Um, in the context of a really interesting, you know, unique, compelling entrepreneurial story. So these brands are very much tied to the actual, you know, the personality, the the person who has um, discovered a need and and created the company, um, um, you know, was born out of that need. Um, and that level of authenticity, of transparency, of you know, superior storytelling and consistency in, in storytelling is something that has really resonated with consumers. That's something that the bigger brands have to, you know, it's a lesson that they have to take to heart. So you're absolutely right that instead of trying to completely pivot and mimic these other brands or play on the same sort of turf, what the big brands need to do is get back to the basics and understand what is their unique value and, and what is their particular story and have that stay consistent, which is, I acknowledge, a, a much bigger challenge for these companies that typically um, grew by mass producing and um, products and really having kind of ubiquitous distribution. Instead, now it's about creating this really compelling and authentic story and being very clear about what the brand stands for and what value it delivers and how it can deliver that value directly to the consumer. As you look at this dynamic and look at sort of the emergence of new players and as the existing players scale and or get quiet, in your mind, what's the, what's the big next? What's next here? Well, I really see this D2C trend as, in some ways, the beginning. We're able to detect how consumers' value calculation is changing when they're selecting brands and products and experiences. The D2C trend is revealing these major sort of underlying shifts 
shift in how consumers understand convenience, understand quality of a brand, how they're willing to trust a brand. Um, and these changes are going to continue. And what that means is that the bigger brands need to question their own assumptions about how they're resonating with consumers and, uh, and really look at how they're delivering value directly to the consumer and really put sort of more emphasis on the, the C of the D to C, right, as opposed to um, the D. So instead of just thinking about this as a, as a channel play, this is really a, a moment where brands need to take a, a hard look at how their consumers are changing and how they're going to be consuming value and how they sort of make sense of value moving forward. So DTC is disruption at the margins today, but this is beginning to form a new way of how the large players will go to market. Anjali, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Join Forrester's analysts and over 500 marketing leaders at Consumer Marketing in New York this spring to hear the trends and challenges that you will face in the coming year. For more information and to reserve your seat, visit forcom slash cm 2019. That's forr.com slash CM2019. Thanks for listening.